you asked about like Irish National Theatre, is that what you asked? Yeah. yeah. Irish Theatre, where did it come from? What is it doing and where is it going? He was pacing backstage, waiting for the riots to happen. From the earliest days of independence to more recent questions about representation, we ask what is theatre's place in Ireland and what is Ireland's place in theatre? Not needing like a theatre audience necessarily, but like an event audience. Through interviews and conversations with experts and enthusiasts, we explore the history, controversies and future of theatre in a country so well known for it. It's very hard to kind of totally unpick it all when you're part of it. Because theatre should be for everyone. I'm Sarah O'Sullivan and this is Fail Better. Theatre in Ireland is no stranger to drama, both on stage and off. The industry has had its fair share of controversies over the years, from allegations against people in power, lack of work given to Irish artists and the lack of a nationalised theatre as explored in the last episode. But there's one controversy that was so widespread, so public, that it needs to be examined. That event is Waking the Feminists in 2016. First, some background. In late 2015, the Abbey Theatre announced a programme of shows as part of a year-long celebration for the centenary of the 1916 Easter Rising. 11 plays, 11 playwrights, 10 directors, Irish, UK and American tours. It was an ambitious and celebratory project. Except something was amiss. Despite the trailer for the project including only female actors, Despite them quoting Helena Maloney, an actress and 1916 rebel in the promotional video, despite the fact that the National Theatre was co-founded by a woman, there was only one female artist on that list. A writer. And what was she writing? A children's show, set to tour schools. And there's nothing wrong with children's theatre, but to exclude women from the main stage, from the main events to leave them out of the conversation they clearly had a place in. It was shocking, but not completely surprising. Sarah Jane Scaife was an actress and is now a theatre lecturer and director. I was there when they were announcing, uh, you know, the programme. I was sitting beside Siobhan Burke, you know, from Irish Theatre Institute, one of those two amazing, Siobhan and Jane, two most amazing women in Irish theatre. Um, I was sitting beside her and I was kind of going, am I like missing something or is there absolutely not one woman writing or directing or anything? You know, the women are just being used as uh, visuals on the screen. There's nothing here, you know, and she said, no, you know, And I was like, oh, my God, I don't know why I'm even surprised. That was how we all felt about it at the time. And then um, Leon put out the call. Why was there no space for female artists in those lead creative roles for Waking the Nation? This was a question posed on Twitter by activist Liam Bell, who mobilised the Waking the Feminist movement, to artistic director of the Abbey at the time, Fiak McCongle. And, fair play, he answered her, writing in a tweet. Sometimes plays and ideas that we've commissioned by and about women just don't work out. That has happened. Them's the breaks. Them's the breaks. Sometimes plays by and about women do not relate to Ireland. Them's the breaks. Sometimes they explore maternity or an aversion to it or something else entirely and it just won't work. Them's the breaks. 
We can't have a girly play on. This is about a revolution. Even though women fought in the revolution and founded the theatre it is commemorated in. Too bad. Them's the breaks. One of the most reached for examples of Irish theatre at the turn of the century, one about fighting for Ireland, is the play Kathleen Nihoulahan, co-written by W.B. Yeats and Lady Gregory, and presented in 1902. At the time, Yeats put his name solely on the project, and Gregory let him, knowing which name would sell. But later, as he continually failed to acknowledge her collaboration, Gregory began to resent him for it. More of a balance will begin to emerge in the next 20 years or so, but beyond that, it didn't get much better. Here's Sarah Jane again. You know, when I started looking at research on women uh, playwrights, sort of the early part of the 20th century, like the 1930s around then, there was more women playwrights um, presented on the main stage than there were in the 1990s. The only woman that was on the main stage, apart from an educational play as an uh, outreach programme in the Abbey or any of the main stages, was Marina Carr. Academic Janelle Reynolds noted in 2007 that scholars and Irish theatre enthusiasts would be aware of Lady Gregory's plays in the early 20th century. And others may be familiar with the works of Marina Carr in the 1990s. But they would struggle to name another female playwright in between. And there were plenty, although perhaps more in the beginning than later on. So I literally went through all those archives and I had little marks for every year how many plays were, new plays were presented, how many of them were by men, how many of them were by women. I don't even know where all that went. But um, but certainly um, in Mary Manning's time, because I was looking at a play that she wrote, Youth's the Season, and that went, was on three times in the Gate Theatre. She wrote it at 21. And in 1930, I think it was, it was on three times. In, uh, so there was a lot, there, there seemed to be more of a, kind of a mix of women in the artistic kind of world at that point of time. I don't know whether I'm just looking at it with rose-coloured glasses, but they seemed to have more of a voice. It's also not like they were writing outside of the realms of what we would consider Irish theatre. Their topics were not always that different from their male contemporaries. They just offered a different viewpoint on it. I don't know what dates they were, but there's two women from Northern Ireland, Chris Reid and Anne Devlin. And they were amazing playwrights and they were writing about the North and the female, the position that females were in sort of conflicted within the notion of the family and and religion. So one of them was writing from a really ultra kind of Protestant background and one of them was writing from the Catholic background. But the same kind of issues of control and patriarchy, I suppose, um, were, you know, in both their writing. But there was, I, I don't think, I'm, I'm not sure did Christina Reid ever get uh, presented at the Abbey, but I know Anne Devlin didn't. And like, they're really uh, wonderful writers and they've been presented in England as well. You know, I think they've worked in collaboration with some um, theatres in England. Even outside of the playwriting sphere, theatre 
could feel like a male-dominated space. With female characters that actresses could play largely coming through the male gaze, a kind of dichotomy revealed itself to those trying to work in theatre. You know, you were either an attractive young woman who could bat their eyelids at all of the guys that were in charge of everything, or you were a hairy leg feminist. Do you know what I mean? And there was no kind of just that you were just a person. And that pressure is not isolated to one time period or to one person. Even younger artists who may have had ambitions for the stage before saw the box they had to fit into and moved their ambitions elsewhere. Like Lisa Nally, the theatre marketer we heard from previously, who originally wanted to be an actor. I think it's one of the huge things that put me off becoming an actor. Like, I don't want to be sitting there singing to Paddy O'Shea, whatever the fuck it's called. Like that, like, and I know for a fact that like, if you want to reach the top of your career in Ireland, that you want to be on like an Abbey main stage show for a couple of months back to back. And like, there's not a hope that I'd be considered for like a contemporary piece when I had my long brown hair and my thick country accent. Like it's just not going to happen. So you kind of have to be kind of hit with this like realization that either you have to change or like, it's just not, like that's not what you want to do and like I genuinely think it would be my nightmare to be in like just make Irish women seem like these soppy lovey-dovey singy-songy girly whirlies who have these ridiculous accents I'm always like come on give the girly something give them something Lisa now has set her sights on producing hoping to one day give the girly something maybe the best way to change an institution is from the inside But before Waking the Feminists, it was very risky to question anything. In a creative sphere, unlike other industries, you can be let go or remain unhired for a myriad of reasons, of personal reasons. So it's more difficult to accuse someone of doing it wrongfully. Here's Sarah Jane again. So there's always that slight tension. Do you know what I mean? There can be another reason why that person doesn't want to cast you but you'll never really know. And and if you're an actress, deep down, you'll kind of wonder, is it because I'm not good enough or whatever? So you, you just don't, it's such a strange business. But as a, an artist and a performer, that insecurity is all, well, it was always there. I don't know, maybe there's a new breed now, but that thing of, is it me? Or, you know, do you fight for the thing and and then you don't get any work? And then, you know, you if you say anything, it's just you being bitter, but you're not actually that good anyway. You know, this so or you're not pretty enough or you're not, you know, it goes on and on. You never know. And Waking the Nation was finally an example, such a blatant example of sexism across the industry. And it wasn't just this event or this theatre or this artistic director. They were only the ones who revealed the blind spot in the industry. I don't think all blame should be placed on them because the problems and the risks in speaking about it came from everywhere. Sarah Jane contributed to the movement by writing about her experience. Um, so I was really nervous. But at that stage, you know, I was working for myself. You know, I kind of burnt any boats that I had, you know, sailed um and so I, I i was just going to say it. and i wrote quite a personal thing at the beginning and then one of my sisters said no nah, you know 
it's historical, this is. You need to write objectively how the situation was, not some little personal boohoo story sort of thing. So I did, you know, but it, but it was really, you know, you were kind of taking your life in your hands, just sending it out there, um, even though it's what a lot of us thought. And fear existed. There was no guarantee after all, no certainty that this would bring about any change. While those more established in their career were perhaps less at risk, there were others seriously putting themselves on the line. And then there was somebody from Trinity, some really lovely young actress, and I haven't heard about her since. I won't even say her name. I can't even remember it actually at this stage. But she was lovely and um, she stood up. She was one of the people. And, and all I could think of was like, oh God, I hope this isn't pretend now. And really the same thing is still going on because she's never going to work again, having said what she said. In the seven years since that first programme was released, has it all changed? Was it all pretend? Have younger artists felt that change, those entering the industry in those years since? I asked Julie Appleby, who's a freelance director. Having graduated from university in April 2020, has she found a more equal plane? I think there is a culture of people ticking boxes of like oh yeah we've programmed a female director tick and it's like that's not what we should be doing I think we need to actually go back to we need to really think about why we're programming like solely male work and like taking a box and like yes we've done that we've programmed a female writer we've programmed a transgender writer like yeah we can look at it as a solely just like um you know solely like feminist or just like programming females but I think there's so many different like issues at the moment and I think we just need to we need to learn like why do we have these biases it is it's sad but I do also think I feel very excited as a, a female theatre director I like I do feel like I have the same opportunities as like my male contemporaries. I, d- I do genuinely feel that. As Julia mentioned, gendered bias is only one aspect of this discussion. There's a lot of work to do beyond ticking boxes, which many hope is just a means to an end. But she said she does have more opportunities. She feels on a more even playing ground. And so maybe change can happen. The Gate Theatre and the Abbey Theatre are now led by female artistic directors. Sarah Jane Scaife was nominated for an Irish Times Theatre Award in directing, alongside her collaborator Raymond Keane, in 2022. There's a long way to go in terms of representation, but Waking the Feminist showed that it is possible to question the status quo and start change. It is possible to ask why things are the way that they are, and to demand that they change. It is possible to call out what is unfair. That has happened. Them's the breaks. Fail Better is written, presented and edited by me, Sarah O'Sullivan. The theme music is by Theo Foley. Interviews included in this episode are from Sarah Jane Scaife, Lisa Nally and Julia Appleby. Special thanks to DCU, The Pavilion Theatre, Leslie and Ambrose O'Sullivan, Maya Perdue and Kevin O'Leary.